the day before Thanksgiving in 1971, a man identifying himself as Dan Cooper bought a plane ticket from Portland to Seattle. He hijacked the plane, claiming he had a bomb in his briefcase and demanded $200,000 in four parachutes. He jumped out of the plane with the money and the bomb somewhere over the Pacific Northwest, never to be seen again. The FBI claims to have investigated over a thousand people, including dozens of deathbed confessions. In 2016, 45 years after the hijacking, the FBI suspended its investigation of the case. While the FBI is no longer looking for D.B. Cooper, there is a community of people who are trying to solve the case on their own. Welcome to the Cooper Vortex. Welcome back to part two of my interview with Tim Collins. If you haven't listened to part one yet, I would recommend you go back one episode and listen to that one first. If you've already heard part one, I'll stop talking so you can hear what Tim has to say. Ladies and gentlemen, my good friend, Tim Collins. Let's talk about the actual hijacking. Okay. What was his motivation? Just, hey, I could use 200 grand. I think, I mean, this is all a conjecture. There, what I told John Dower the, the first time I he interviewed me in the kitchen, I said, uh, there's a lot of questions I have about it. And I said, uh, who D.B. Cooper is is not one of them. Of course, I was being a little uh, overstrong, but I actually feel that way. I, I don't think that's really a question. I think there's a lot of things though I, I'll never know. How did he plan this? Uh, yeah, his motivation. I think he just... I think he just saw an opportunity. Um, in the weeks before, there was a there was a hijacking that uh, didn't go very well. Because of COVID, I have not had a chance to see what he would have read about that. I wanted to look that up in the Atlanta newspapers and see what uh, what was covered, like what was discussed in the paper, to see what he knew, what he didn't know. But that one went sideways on the guy right when he. I, I mean, I'm sure. He, your audience would know about that one. That's the uh, Paul Sini. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. The cheeseburgers guy. Yeah. I think that perhaps gave him an idea and he thought, huh. Well, I I don't know how he knew how to parachute. I don't I don't I don't know how he knew that. Clearly he had some sort of training ahead of time, but I think uh in the way I see it is he thought, All right, I know how to parachute. Um and we'll just improve on this plan and we'll do it. Did he have any military experience? Well, he was in the army and he was in the Navy. He was dishonorably discharged, uh, I believe from the Navy. I, I don't know that much about his army record. And I don't, I just don't know. I just don't know. I don't know. The thing about Dwayne being Cooper, and I've said this on the show a billion times before, so I apologize for everyone listening. But the thing that I don't like about Dwayne being Cooper is... We don't get to know the story because he he died and didn't tell anyone. We don't get to know his planning. We don't get to know what happened when his boots hit the ground. We don't get to know what the free fall was like. Those kind of details about right. the hijacking. Yeah. Yeah. Those are things I think about. These are, these are the things I think about. I don't think about who he was. I think about all the stuff you're talking about. What was it like when he hit the ground? Uh, how long was he in the area? Uh, was he in the area when... Um, Himmelsbach f- flew out the next morning and was was uh, canvassing the area. Uh, and if he was, uh, how did he react to that? Um, if we take his word for it that uh, he hurt himself, uh, there's that. I secretly hope that 
when I said he had a stack of tapes and a recorder that uh, somewhere he made a confession and that it's somewhere out there. Now, of course, this is like, oh, that's probably 10 million to one. <laughs> but but uh, uh, who knows, man? It's crazy stuff. Maybe it's sitting in somebody's shoebox somewhere and they, they find it, listen to it. And oh, my gosh. You know, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, there, there are things I don't know, but I do hope. I do hope that he didn't leave us just completely uh, blank. Now, with that said... I feel like there's there's a little bit in, in his in his story that you can kind of take as inference, uh, but anyway, yeah, your guess is as good as mine at this point. Do you think the flight path is accurate? Yeah. Do you think the drop zone yes. is accurate? Hundred percent. Do you think the bomb was real? No, I think that was uh, I think that was road flares and a battery, and uh, his his thinking on that is like, look, okay, flight attendants, uh, which they called stewardesses back then, right? You got some 20-year-old girl. Uh, <clears throat> all he has to do is fool them. He doesn't have to have uh, SWAT come in with a bomb squad and fool the SWAT guy. Okay, He just has to fool the person at the back who's not in that expertise. It just has to look legit, en- legit enough to get the job done. And that's, yeah. Now, the question is, what did he do with the briefcase? That is another one of those things. We don't know that he tied it to himself. We don't know what. It's never been found. That's one of those things. We're never going to know. I mean, unless it gets found somehow, and I don't know, I suppose it's possible, but did he really tie it to himself and, and jump out with both the briefcase and the money, or did he just chuck it off the side, and, and if he did that, then why wasn't it, why wasn't it ever found? I don't know. They found the placard. If that's the placard. Well, yeah, if it's the placard, I think it's probably, a, uh, probably better odds than not, but yeah. I've actually seen in person two different placards that claim to be that one. Oh, really? Yeah. So, okay, yeah, well, who knows then? <laughs> what do you think of the fact that there are two sketches, two primary sketches, yeah, I think and they that's, look very different? I think that's unfortunate because um, clearly one of them does look like Dwayne and the other one uh, looks like everybody. Uh, <laughs> you'll see, um, I mentioned, um, you know, the checklist. So one of the things I did to try to take my... Um, try to take my bias out of the equation is I try to make a list. And it's funny because in that sequence of the DNA on, on Eric Euless's, uh special there, she talked about if you hit 20 points, it's funny, 20 points. If you can hit 20 points, and I understand the math on this. I mean, the permutations uh, just make the, your, your calculation just so good. You ever uh, see that, that quiz where they ask you 20 questions about what you call certain things, like they say, all right, you have a bunch of possessions in your house and you want to sell them. What do you call that? And there's like, you know, A, it's a garage sale. B, it's a yard sale. B, it's a, a C, it's a rummage sale. Like, or whatever, right? And they, they have 20 questions like this. And then at the end of the 20 questions, you hit enter and it tells you where you grew up. You ever see, did you ever see I that? Have, I have done that before, yes. That, that is like, it is mind-blowing uh, what you can achieve in 20 questions. What you can achieve in 20 observations, it's just, it's just mind-blowing. And that, that just spook people. It, it happens at the poker table very rarely, but it does happen where a player's range is so narrow that you're sitting there. And I, I remember one time I was sitting in Vegas, and I'm sitting across from this guy, and we got thousands of dollars of chips in the middle. And uh, I just looked up, and I'm like, so uh, you got pocket tents? And he's like, you know, he's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the, the blood drained from his face, and uh, it's spooky. It's spooky when that happens. Um, but it can happen. 
So I tried my best to come up with uh, something along those lines. I came up with a list of, I, I dubbed it the algorithm, but um, it's basically just a, a checklist of, of, of things. I'm trying to think of what we what we were talking about that put me on the sketches. Yeah, the sketches. So one of the one of the things is like, okay, do they resemble the sketch? Well, because so many people claim that their person resembles a sketch, it's on the list. But I literally mathematically just said, well, we're just going to take that off because. Everyone claims that their person looks like the looks like the sketch. Everyone. It doesn't matter. I mean, they could be deformed and missing an ear. It doesn't matter. They look like the sketch. Okay, great. Yeah, I said, uh, you know, everyone in 1971, every middle-aged man yeah. in 1971 looked the same. I right. mean, you could find a picture of your grandpa in 1971. He looks like the sketch. And I said that uh, a fan emailed me a picture of his grandfather in 1971. He's like, you're right. It looks just like the sketch. Right. right. <laughs> it's just too, gen- too generic. And I think that, uh, that did it a service, but it's not like, it's not like, uh, a lot of these sketches, it's not like somebody was going to look at, uh, the composite B and go, Oh, I know who that is. I know who that is. as, as the case is, uh, everyone was saying, I know who it is. So, <laughs> so it, it, it didn't do any good, but it's funny though, that I opened this with the, um, FRS analysis on that. And so, I mean, I can confidently say that to strip my bias out, uh, Dwayne Weber does actually look like uh, that particular sketch. But What do you, what do you think of uh, his ears? He has very prominent ears. So if you look at the pictures of him, when he has short hair, his ears are protruding. When he has long hair, it's just more masked. And I've asked his, uh, uh, one conversation I had with his best friend, I, I, I specifically asked him about do you remember any anything interesting? You got to be careful not to lead the witness too much. So you got to ask it kind of in a roundabout way. Anything that was interesting about his face or facial features that you thought was just funny or ridiculous looking? Uh, no, no. Okay, then now that you've answered that, so tell me about his ears. What are you talking about? Um, yeah, it's the I, I I know where you're going with that, and I yeah I have no I have no I have no answer for it. His ears were what they are, and I've got I've got a lot of pictures somewhere they look. Silly, somewhere you don't even notice them. So if you are, I can tell you that Tina never mentioned any ears and, and Bill never mentioned any ears. So yeah, you could say, well, I see some of these pictures. He's got these ears. You know, I don't know. Why do you think this case doesn't get the attention it deserves? Wow. It's, it's got a, a lot recently with uh, Eric's, Eric Ulysses' yeah, history think- in the HBO. But I mean, if you went, onto the street and ask people who D.B. Right. Cooper was, it's going to be a low average. Right. A lot of people don't know it. It's just time. It's been half a century now, and um, it's not It's not quite. The people The people around today didn't hear about it. I, I talked to the old timers, people who were, and a lot of them, they remember exactly, especially the ones in the Northwest. Like, I got family members. Oh, I, yeah. I have one in particular. It's like, I remember that day we were coming back from school, picking up somebody from school, and we were on the freeway, and we wondered if we were going to see him come out of the jet as we we're on the freeway, uh, clearly it, if, especially if you were in the Northwest, it's still there, still alive and well, but oh, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, Clark and Cowlitz County. I mean, yeah. you could talk to people and they'll tell you they know who it was. Uh, cause there's always that, you know, old man who lives in the woods told people he was DB Cooper. Right. What do you think was the reason Dwayne buried the money? Okay. Uh, that's great. You got to have a motive, right? There's gotta be a reason. Uh, first of all, I don't think it was, I think it was in the back of his mind. All right. Let's talk about people in this age range. Okay. Born in the twenties. 
what was going on in the early thirties was uh depression. And then, uh, you had, you had like the gangster, the gangster, uh, world kind of coming to coming to, uh, media, the media attention. Bonnie and Clyde were famous. They're on the cover of the newspapers and, and magazines or whatever. Uh, it was like this almost sexy ideal, this rebellious attitude, uh, rebelling against this system that was breaking down a lot. So any of your suspects that are born, born kind of like in that, uh, in those twenties there would have kind of had this as a backdrop, this like gangster thing going on. Well, one of the gangsters was machine gun Kelly and, uh, machine gun Kelly kind of got tired with all this petty theft stuff and he decided to go for the big time. So he says, uh, all right, we're going to do a kidnapping. You know, I worked for the Lindbergh, Lindbergh deal. So we're going to, we're going to kidnap and, uh, take a guess how much he, he wanted for ransom. 200,000. Yeah. 200,000. Right. So he wants 200,000 bucks. He gets his 200,000 bucks. Uh, the, the hostage is okay at the end, but the hostage was, uh, taking meticulous mental notes and they were able to, to find machine gun Kelly. Now machine gun Kelly gets his 200 G's and what are you going to do with 200 G's of cash? You can't bring it to the bank. Hey, excuse me, but I got this 200 G's. Where'd you get the 200 G's? Okay. So he can't do that. So what he does is he's, uh, he's at this farm and he, he literally buries the money in this, uh, uh, cottonwood field. And they later were able to recover, recover it. But, uh, I think stuff like that was in the back of his mind. So I'm just framing it as this isn't the first time that people have held for hostage for 200 G's and then maybe uh, perhaps buried it. So why would you bury it? Let's say you are on the ground and your car is nowhere around and you've got to, let's say if his car is in Tacoma, for instance, how's it going to get to his car? He's got to get uh, what, what, how's, how's he going to, is he going to steal a car? Maybe he steals a car to get up there. Maybe he takes a bus. I don't know. Maybe he takes the train. Uh, certainly not going to go to the airport. I can guarantee you that. So he's not going to go to the airport, but, um, what do you do? You can't carry this big money bag. So what are you, what are you going to do now? Let's talk about predictions in the model, retrodictions in a model. What does bearing the money imply that one, he had a place to bury the money and two, he had the means to bury the money and he had the equipment to bury the money. Where did he get the equipment? Um, where do you have the means, all that stuff? It's like legit question, right? So that's just something for your, for your audience to ponder. But I think what he would have done is he would have taken as much cash and just kind of put it, stuffed it around his, uh, uh clothing as much as he could, like concealed it on his, on his body and then put the rest in, put the rest and buried it. And then, and that's a, a way of him escaping suspicion. So if he's going back into town, he's not carrying this big 20 pound money bag with him. Hey, yeah, we just had this guy skyjack uh, jump out over here and you're carrying a money bag. I mean, it's going to look suspicious. Where if he's just walking into town like a casual Joe Schmo, uh, it's a lot less suspicious. That's a good point. But why leave it there for eight years? Well, yeah, that's that's that that one has uh, bothered me. And I, I've, I've wondered if part of that was the statute of limitations, if he was purposely running out the clock running, trying to run out the clock on that just to make sure that he wasn't going to get busted. Now, and I've also had to ask myself, you know, why, when, and how, when, and how do you decide to, to bury this money? Uh, assuming that's what you, that's what you did. And why not? As soon as you get back to your car or whatever it is, however you got to the PDX. Okay. In the first place, why not go back and get it? 
why leave it there? It's an like I wouldn't have left it there. Now my buddy seems to think, well, he could get pulled over and then uh, his trunk gets searched. And yes, that has happened to me uh, where I was driving through Kansas a couple years back and the cops pulled me over and they want to search my trunk because uh, I'm from Colorado and Colorado has legalized weed and whatever. And he thought my story was dubious and all this stuff. And I, <clears throat> you know, I get, went ahead and let him pop it open and proved proved everything I told him was true. But uh, I generally advise don't do that. <laughs> but anyway, so uh, that that's that's my buddy's theory. I, I, I seem to think, you know what? I actually think there's something else going on there. I think he doesn't go back for the money because of the search that's happening. And I think he's too paranoid at first to go back for quite a while. And, um, yeah, that, that definitely makes sense yeah. that you'd be paranoid to go back. The, waiting for the statute of limitations though. I'm not sure because even if that expires, you could say, Hey, I did it. I'm, I'm a badass. Look how cool I am. But I don't know if he would be scot-free with the money. I think it insur- the insurance company or the airline could still have come sure. after him for that. I mean, there's, Maybe, no, yeah, perhaps. there's no financial um, statute of limitations. Sure, per- perhaps he could have got sued or something. I don't know. But uh, um, it was just one of those things that I wondered if that was something that uh, entered into his mind. Is um, Okay, it's been eight years now. I don't have to worry about this anymore. I'm going to go get my money. <laughs> um, but I can't say for sure that's that's really what was going on. Maybe life was just going well enough that he just, hey, I don't need to worry about it. It's it's where it is. Um, and if you take the things I've said today, um, he waited so long that it the, the money got damaged. He waited so long that he literally couldn't find it. He spent a bunch of time trying. He spent at least four hours on that on the day in the Dow's looking for that um, and just, was not successful and then somehow was what do you think it would take to solve this case uh okay well (laughs) i am of the opinion that he did not spend all his money that he still had some of it uh the question is where is it now and all i can tell you is i I have i have a place to start um but this isn't exactly it's not exactly easy it's, uh, it's simple, straightforward. Yes, um, there's any number of scenarios that could have played out, uh, but easy? No, not easy. Uh, could the FBI do it? Like I said, if this was 20 years ago, I, I'm confident we could have done it. But you know, they've closed the case, and um, you know, screw the FBI anyway. I don't, I'm not really a fan of theirs. So <laughs> why is that? <laughs> I, I just, gosh. What do they do anymore? They they stop you know fake terrorism or whatever you know terrorism that wasn't really going to happen and then the real crimes uh just they just you know I don't know they get tipped off on things like Pulse nightclub and they don't do anything just I don't know it just seems like maybe they need a little bit of change of leadership there but how do you think they did in investigating this case? I actually am very sympathetic to their to their uh, to this case. I think that they I think they did the best they could and I don't I don't begrudge them. Um, I think that D.B. Cooper just beat them. He just won. And you know what? So it's one guy that, that beat him. Uh, they, they, they had proven themselves over and over again that they were very effective. I don't think it's a cover-up. Uh, I don't think they know. My, my same buddy who thinks they searched the trunk or whatever they would search the trunk is like, yeah, they, they know who it is. And they just, <laughs> I'm, I'm not of a, I'm a little straight shooter that way, you know, but. Yeah, I don't, I'm not, uh, leaning towards there's a big FBI cover up, but they know no, who it is no, and no, they're no. choosing not no. to say. 
I think there are too many agents have come through the case for that to possibly be true. Now, I will say I have been frustrated by uh, when I was interacting with uh, with Larry Carr and I, uh, I I actually appreciate the guy. I actually have a, a soft spot for him. But I found I found that to be extremely frustrating. Just like my goal was to get him to admit to certain things, uh, one of which was that they had lost the cigarette butts, which he did publicly state. Um, but I felt like, look, if I can, how can I take him? How can I take not just him, but how can I take somebody from, from not knowing to at least, can we get some common ground where we can actually start talking about facts? And this is kind of where like the myth versus facts stuff started coming up. Okay. Let's weed out the myths and let's, let's establish this. Uh, And that was one of Wayne Walker's Wayne Walker and I were, were, were buddies back then, and we, it was one of his ideas. It's like we need a place where all the facts are kind of like you can go you can go here and get all the facts. And so he had his little site that he yeah, that he did, and uh, that was a big problem uh, back then. Was we would read stuff in the paper, and it was wrong. They would have like the money find spot was wrong, or this detail was wrong, that detail was wrong, and you don't know what to believe. So having car there was just so, so good, but it was very, also very frustrating because no matter what I did, he literally got to the point where, okay, you've proved, you've proved that, uh, according to my own evidence, you've proved the money can't get there. So therefore my evidence is wrong. And I, that, that just was like, okay, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. You're literally just going to say your evidence is no good because you didn't get the conclusion you wanted. You know, what, what is this? Like that's where we're that's what we're gonna do. Okay, if that's the way we're gonna do it, that yeah, I'm not playing this game. I'm gonna take my ball and go home. <laughs> so, that's what I did. I, I think it's interesting that even in, you know, 2008, 2010, they had agents actively working on the case. Well, he was doing it in his spare time. Let's be let's be truthful. I mean, he did spend some time, uh, like when they found the parachute in Ariel, or whatever, and uh, not Ariel, but wherever it was. Um, I think he, he might have had some company time on that, but uh, for the most part, it was more of a hobby. And geez, uh, I'm very appreciative that he was willing to do that because anyone else doing that? I mean, no. So, um, I mean, I guess Ng was a little bit more public, but up until that point, Himmelsbach was, was the only guy you could talk to and he was retired. Yeah, and it was, uh, to my understanding, would charge people to do interviews about D.B. Cooper. He didn't charge me. I've got I've got a uh, I've got a snippet here of some of my talks with him uh, that I was going to potentially share with your audience, but uh, keep going. I, now I'm now I can only think about the fact that you interviewed Ralph Himmelsbach. Well, we talked. Yeah. I um I tried to get Larry Carr on the show, and I'm going to try again, but um I had to go through the FBI's like public relations department or something, oh. and. To, to have him on on the show in public capacity uh-huh. and fill the stuff out. And I had to submit uh, most of the questions I was going to ask beforehand. And then months later, I get the response back. He's not going to appear on the show. And I do not get to know why was the response I got. Uh-huh. And I'm like, why even tell me that I don't get to know why? That makes me more upset. Just say, unfortunately, it's not going to happen. But to add, and we're not going to tell you why, that implies like there's a reason. Yeah, I uh, <laughs> I wished uh, there were times I wanted to uh, write him, times I wanted to talk to him, uh, kind of in my journey here. And uh, like I said, I got a soft swap for for the guy. We have a lot of similarities, uh, both uh, 
collegiate All-Americans and all this. Uh, uh, but but anyway, <laughs> both both very interested in D.B. Cooper, and we were kind of sparring partners back then. And um, yeah, I I do I do miss the camaraderie in a sense. But you're not posting on the drop zone nope. or the D.B. Cooper forum. No, nope. and if I uh, I have fantasized that if I uh, if I ever hit the jackpot, uh, what I would do. And, uh, uh, I'll share this with the audience. So I, if, if, if I, if I ever hit the jackpot, I would, uh, say, say I had a stack of twenties or something, right. I would, uh, love to be able to put one of those in an envelope, send it to, uh, <coughs> send it to Mr. Carr there. And, uh, with a printout from the DZ when he said, uh, he was talking about, uh, whenever I solve the case, you know, we'll, uh, celebrate or whatever. And, uh, you know, staple, staple the two together, send it to him and <laughs> talk <laughs> later, buddy. No, but, uh, uh, it's not impossible that actually there are some stacks cash. I just, your guess is as good as mine at this point. I know Eric said there was maybe 50, 50 of them out there. I thought, uh, there's probably more of them out there, but I would be surprised if there were 50 separate people with DB Cooper bills. I would be surprised at that. I, w- I would be stunned. I think it's, you know, fewer than that, but who knows, man? I, I had a currency expert on the show, mm-hmm. uh, Arthur Friedberg, um, who l- wrote the book on U.S. paper currency. Uh-huh. And I mean that his book is called U.S. Yeah. Paper Currency. Uh-huh. <laughs> and he was so confident that that money never entered circulation. And it, yeah, it, it made I'm, me a, a little bit uncomfortable. And in the uh, Cooper Vortex, a lot of, some people uh, agree with him and some people yeah, I'm confident that I'm not going to say all of it hit circulation, but I'm confident a good chunk absolutely did. And I can give you uh, at least one or two locations where some of this stuff was laundered. But um, uh, I, yeah, I'm, conf- I'm confident it actually did. It's just, did it happen? Did it happen the way you would think where, you know, he took it all to a bank or something like that? No. Um, did he spend it all within a year of the crime? No. Not if you believe. Not if you believe the scenario I'm laying out here. What do you think is the best evidence for Dwayne and the worst evidence? Well, the worst, let's start with the worst evidence because that's, that, that's great. I'd love to admit that right up front. So the worst evidence for Dwayne or, or the evidence, I guess you would say, that suggesting it's not him is, of course, you've got the DNA on the tie. Um, I do, let's write that down. I want to talk about the tie before, before I go. So we've been talking a long time. Um, so you got that. You've got uh, both both Bill and Tina, and as far as I know, even Florence, have all seen pictures of Dwayne and uh, uh, felt as if it's not him. I did tell Joe, I, I, I tried to tell Joe that that was a fool's errand to, to, to do that, to try to send these people these pictures. I said, Joe, you got nothing but downside here because uh, number one, they're not going to remember. Number two, even if they even if they said it's him, it's not going to count for anything. And more than likely, they're not. It's just not going to work. They're going to, and yeah. they're not going to be shown this picture until twenty five years after. Yeah, yeah the fact. 20, 25, 30, whatever, however many years it was. And you know, she's sending these people. Um, there's a great example that I think of in my own personal life, and the, and the, and the listener can listen in their own life. If there's someone you met. Some, t- some years ago and spent some time with for say a few hours, five hours, something like that. But then you never saw them again. You never saw their picture. You didn't have a picture of them to refresh your memory. Uh, I remember one time I was coming back from uh, Campo San Lucas and I met this girl on the plane and uh, we hit it off really well. And I was, uh, I was going to get her phone number at the, at the 
you know, luggage or whatever. And I could tell she was really eager. Like I knew she was, she was waiting for me to, to ask for, for the information. And, uh, apparently they, they were going light, traveling light and didn't have any, uh, luggage to check. So, so when I went to the, the carriage, she wasn't there. So I never saw her again, never talked to her again. Now, if you were to put a photo lineup in front of me of, of people who look kind of similar, I wouldn't be able to pick it out. I wouldn't be able to pick her out. And, uh, I just can't imagine any of those witnesses would, would be able to do, do it either. And a picture only tells you so much. If you could see 100 pictures, maybe you can get a sense. If you can see video, that's even better. In person, okay, that, now, we're, now we're talking. But that person would have aged. I mean, just, it, it's, just not the same. it's just not the same. Yeah, and the fact that they have been shown you know, 10,000 photos now, right. now that, since then. And that clouds your... Yeah. memory of it as well that 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 alone taints the memory and that's uh, like i mentioned uh, my prof- professor loftus earlier and that's like right up one of the things she she wrote a whole book about this is like these photo lineups you guys do literally taints the memories it literally changes the memory so so you have this memory you show pictures and now the original memory has been altered like literally altered and you're, you're going to come back 40 years later and ask okay is this the person no, I mean, I'm not saying you, you can't trust it at all, but um, it's it's a tough that, that's a tough sell. So I, that's what I was trying to tell Joe. It's like even if they say yes, it's not it's not worth it's it's, it's not worth that much. Uh, so so there's the eyewitness, and the DNA. That's pretty much the, but I don't, that's I don't the think two the big DNA we, is a, is uh, it really evidence against one. Uh-huh. I'm just admitting that that's something that came out that didn't go uh, their way. Um, Know, didn't didn't go our way or whatever, but uh, is there something else I'm missing? Because I I that's those are like the two big ones. No, I mean the thing that comes up with Dwayne and uh, McCoy all the time is that they both had you know ears that stuck out. Ah, right. Uh, it's funny. It was. It's funny that you mentioned because I know uh, Eric believed that Sheridan Peterson was 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 Cooper for a long time. I probably still does. Maybe he doesn't. I don't know. I don't know if he's changed his mind. But anyway, uh, uh, in the show, they. <laughs> I believe it was the. I believe it was that show. They were talking about his ears. Now maybe I'm confusing because I was I was watching a lot of videos trying to queue up stuff for you. So I, I might be I may be wrong about that. But uh, I find it interesting where where yeah I, I believe it was that uh, one on one segment they're talking about his ears as if it was no big deal. And then and then earlier Billy Jensen's like yeah you know uh, uh, Dwayne Weber's his ears. You know, okay well it is what it is man. <laughs> it depends on how you're dressed, how your hair is done, um, and. I don't know. Joe's talked about he like he would have taped them or something. I, I don't surgical buy. glue. Yeah, I, I I'm not I'm not buying I'm not buying that stuff. I uh, I'm not buying that stuff. Yeah. Well, I have a hard time believing any sort of makeup scenario because right. you have a a young woman sitting next to you right. for hours and hours. Right. Someone who wears makeup every day. Right. Would notice. Right. A man wearing makeup. Right. Uh, I do want to go through. You said the best evidence. So let's go through um, uh, my list here. Of, of things. So the idea is to start with a pool of potential people. And uh, the way I said it is uh, USA and Canada. So, all right. So we're going to round up the population of USA and Canada. That takes us to 230 million people at the time of the crime, right? So we've got a pool of 230 million people. Clearly, that's too big. We want to narrow it down. So do they look like the sketch? I already said, well, sadly, everyone looks like the sketch. So I, I, I literally would have wanted to put something in there mathematically uh, to to narrow that down. So no, can't do it. But it's on the list, okay. Uh, do they smoke? Do they drink? Now, here's the thing when you're doing this, when you're trying to stack probabilities, 
the 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 potential for weakness here is that you have co covariation, so two things that go together. You're measuring this uh, you're measuring this unseen um, element two times on accident. Well, I have no I have no way of like running uh, correlation analysis on this stuff to like really weed this out. So if something's really really obvious like smokes and drinks, those two things will go together a lot of times. So uh, <clears throat> you just got to pick one, I guess. Um, and go with it and don't do both. Uh, the skin tone, that's, um, that's actually pretty rare. And I used some numbers to like calculate what percentage of people had this, uh, you, you've heard of D.B. Cooper having swarthy, uh, complexion. One of the witnesses described him as a Mar American Indian, Mar Indian or whatever. And, uh, that's, uh, wow, that's pretty dark in the middle of November. And yet you get these suspects all the best suspects have blue eyes and light complexion. You're like, <laughs> yeah. so, so, uh, how does that, how does that go? I can confirm. I can, I, you can take my word for it. I can, sh I'll show you on my YouTube channel. One of these times I would just start posting a, a video of nothing but, uh, Dwayne Weber pictures. The dude had a dark complexion. Okay. He definitely yeah. did. Yeah. Now, uh, the correct age. So, so that you run into this with like, um, uh, Raxfraw or some of the other guys where they didn't quite fit the age. Um, didn't quite fit the age. Rackstraw and McCoy both were you know, yeah. 26 and 28. Right. So that's like, now D.B. Cooper was, uh, if you believe me, uh, Dwayne was 47 and a half at the time of the crime. Um, and original estimates on on who uh, Cooper was, was uh, you know, uh, Schaffner's first initial th impression when she first uh, uh, phoned in over the, over the intercom there was, uh, you know, he's, he's about 50 years old, about 50. Right. So hard to imagine that you're going to have some, mid twenties kid, uh, being confused for 50. Oh, I, just, I, I agree yeah. a million percent. Yeah. So like, as soon as you, all right, your guy, your guy, your candidate's great and all, but I mean, really that should be disqualifying right off the top. Not all these are disqualifying by the way. These are just like potential things. I really hope if you have a list of, uh, Martin's, I'd love to see what he put in his list. That's the whole reason I bought the book and he didn't put it in there. And if you're listening, I was disappointed in that, sir. <laughs> Better get it up on your blog, uh, Marty. I don't know. All right. So, uh, oh yes, uh, correct age. So I put on mine uh, anywhere between 1919 and 1931. I mean, that's a wide, wider variation than needs to be. I, I try to be as lenient as possible because, again, uh, the co-variations. There's things here I can't account for, so I have to be as I have to be as lenient as possible in my math. Uh, now, here's something: if you were to take a suspect who actually did the crime, he actually did the crime. And you got them in a situation where they could, they could suffer no repercussions for what they told you. So either either to their reputation, their legacy, or criminal, or any other, any other any other thing that's against them. Would they admit that they did it? And I say yes, yes. Now, if they if you have a suspect and they didn't admit it, that doesn't mean anything. Maybe they just never had that opportunity to feel free to confess. But uh, if they did confess, I think that's worth something. So in my math, I said, all right, we're going to just go ahead and assume that one out of 200 people will confess. That's way more than actually happened because that puts, I, th I think, what did I get? Uh, yeah, it's uh, several million. Several million people would have confessed, and we know that didn't happen. Uh, Marcelled hair, the Marcelled hair thing. Um, uh, Dwayne Weber had Marcelled hair. Uh, it's just a very subtle, and it was right kind of in the front where it just kind of waves a little bit. Whoever D.B. Cooper was was proficient with knots. I think, maybe you could disagree, but if it, but the way Tina described him making the handle, it doesn't seem like it was sloppily done. Uh, 
so I would think, and, and, and whoever Cooper was, it was quite confident. He just starts cutting up the shroud shroud lines and I'm just going to start doing this. It's not like I, I Oh, is this going to work? Um, he seemed to be improvising and had a skill set to kind of back, back up what he's doing. So I put that on here. Uh, along with that, he owns a pocket knife. Now, uh, current statistics are only one out of th- uh, about three Americans own a, own a pocket knife. Not everyone owns a pocket knife. Do you own a pocket knife? Yes, I yeah, do. Yeah, I have one too. And uh, Dwayne Weber, I have four of his pocket knives. So he had one. He owned one. Uh, any of those four could or could not have been used in the crime. I have no way of knowing. <laughs> Just one of those things. Uh, clearly, D.B. Cooper was familiar with Tacoma. So what percentage of the population uh, 1971 is familiar with Tacoma. Uh, he had some sort of association with parachuting and or aviation, right? He knows the, he knows about flaps. He, he's able to put on the parachute. He's, it's not his first time at the rodeo, right? And then are there any coinciding spending spree or spending sprees, right? Uh, like I said, Dwayne Weber had, uh, he bought two new cars in 1971. He bought a 72 Dodge Swinger and a 72 Dodge Demon. Um, I showed you pictures of that earlier, so that did happen. I do want to get back to that though, because I talked about this on the HBO documentary, uh, the cars that he purchased. I said that, uh, one of the things you could put on this list is that, uh, whoever DB Cooper was would maybe have an affinity for Southwest Washington and and, and Clark County in particular. That's assuming he survived. Would, would there be special meaning to him? If he were to travel through Clark County, would it mean anything to him? I would think so. I mean, hey, this is where I came down, for crying out loud. Uh, uh, it's on the list. You know, how much how much you attribute to it is uh, of your own decision. The tie, where the tie comes from. Does your, is your audience, how familiar are they with the, with the tie and where, where it's Pretty from? familiar. It's, it's Genesis. Um, it's a 69 era, JCPenney, Towncraft. Uh, clip-on tie, and then I've seen photos of it coming in a set with cufflinks. Really? Well, that I've never heard. Um, we'll talk about that in a second. Have you have you re- have you, re- you read the three hundred two on that? I may have. Okay, we'll go over that in a second. All right. So along with the tie, you know, Kay found those uh, metal particles on the tie. So if there's if there's any sort of explanation on that, that's on the list. Uh, and then another item here is uh, I, I find it interesting when people put forth suspects who have never, ever done. They're like a, a choir boy their whole life, yet then they just pulled off like the caper of the century. OK, I find that just amusing, amusing that uh, people would, would, would do that. If I were to find the Mona Lisa someplace and I didn't know who did it and you didn't know who, who painted it and we weren't aware, would you think, you know, I saw my brother paint his house one time. He must have painted the Mona Lisa. I mean, would you be that stupid to think, wait a minute, you're telling me a masterpiece was painted by a complete novice. So you're saying this master criminal, this guy who pulled this off, was a complete, complete, utter novice. If you believe that, I have a challenge for you. Next time you're at the grocery store, load up your shopping cart, walk out the front door. Don't pay, just walk out the door. And when you get to your car, Turn around, go back in, and then then you can buy your groceries, okay? I guarantee you, if you tried that, yeah, it, it's, you wouldn't be able to do it. It would be real tough. Well, unless you're like a, a thief or something. But it's not, n- n- take take that, how easy that would be versus I'm going to pass notes. I'm going to, I'm going to, 
I'm going to build this, you know, bomb or fake bomb. I'm going to pass notes. I'm going to hijack a plane. I'm going to jump out the back of the, and I've never, ever committed a crime in my life. Do you really think, do you really think somebody who's never done anything wrong in their life has the, has the balls to do that? And especially at that age. I mean, if you're talking about a 22-year-old male, I would, yeah, I'd, yeah, I'd roll okay. my eyes at that. But a 45, 50-year-old male, uh, definitely. Uh, if you've been a choir boy, like you said, your whole life, you are not at 45 going to be committing your first crime and it be a daring. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, you're, insane you're, you're, yeah, it's one of the, it's one of the uh, crimes of the century and, and it's pulled off by a complete novice. Yeah, come on, come on. Tell me another one. Okay, so I did put that on here. If they have a history of crimes. Now, if they don't have a history of crime, that doesn't rule them out. Uh, this stuff doesn't always rule them out. But uh, it's just a, a checklist, right? If you found out who D.B. Cooper was, do you feel like they could resolve the find at Tina Bar? Do you think they'd have an explanation? Some like, hey, I have an explanation for that. Here's, here's my best explanation. Do you think whoever it is would have an explanation for that? Most likely. Most likely. Now we can go with like the third party thing where, hey, man, I lost it in the woods and somebody found it and they, they did something with it. Okay, so, so yeah, but most likely they're probably going to have, they're probably going to. So that's on the list. Right? Uh, we talked about the accent, West to Midwest accent. Uh, Dwayne Weber was from Ohio. Uh, and the recordings you had was after he'd lived in the South for 20 years, but still his, his accent's, uh, you know, fairly, um, fairly neutral. His wife is from Kentucky, so she's got like very thick South, South accent. Yeah. She has a very distinctive voice. Yeah. yeah. Um, now brown eyes, uh, brown eyes. Okay. So only a certain percentage of the population has brown eyes. Let's talk about the height. I put five, nine to six, two, uh, but I think the official was like 5'10 to 6'2 or something like that. Anyway, that's only 45% of the male population at the time. Uh, owns and wears sunglasses. You would think, okay, well, that's obvious. Everybody could do that. It's nothing. But not everyone uh, owns or wears sunglasses. I have pictures of Dwayne wearing sunglasses before the crime. And ironically, I only have like one of him wearing one after. And it was many, many years later. He like stopped wearing sunglasses. It's kind of funny. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about this one. Okay, let's talk about this. Uh, he wears a black tie. All right. That's it's a lot of these are like meaningless on their own, but if you stack them together, they can start to have something. Wears a black tie. That's probably everybody, but not everyone has black ties. I have pictures of, of Dwayne wearing black ties. Uh, wears pearl. Right, same thing. I have him wearing pearl tie tacks. Um, not everyone wears pearls. Uh, I have probably 20 different items of his that have, uh, uh, pearl. Why do you think he would have, why do you think he would have had so many things that were pearl? What's your best guess? He liked pearls. Well, that 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 is obvious. I, I don't have anything. Okay, so um, what do you know about the pearl? Let's uh, let's talk about this. How about uh, birthstone? What about birthstone? Do you know what? Uh, I think my birthstone is ruby. Yeah, and mine's like sapphire. I think, right? Well, the pearl is actually a birthstone, and it is June's. Uh, birthstone and uh, Dwayne Weber's birthday is June 18th so there's that all right so we've kind of gone through that I know that's a little boring but uh, you can cut it out if you want to now there is one item on here I need to be able to say with confidence that D.B. Cooper whoever he was would say yes to any of these items there's only one on here that I have probable and that's left-handed what do you think the case is for for anyone for Cooper being left-handed I'm not sure. Yeah. I, 
if he's left-handed, okay. If he's right-handed, okay. Right. I don't put a lot of weight into that. And I think that's something people could be wrong about. Yeah, no, totally. You're, you're right about that. It's not, it's not a clear-cut thing. I think if I knew for a fact exactly how he picked his seat, it might change my opinion. Um, I'm going to share with you guys a snippet of uh, Himmelsbach here, okay? Uh, age range, uh, white male, age range, uh, middle 40s to middle 50s, uh, normal athletic build. He wasn't overweight or underweight. He was yeah. normal athletic build. Uh, about 5'10 to 6 feet. Uh, uh, dark hair. Very, very dark eyes. He wore a bubble type wrap around sunglasses. Not goggles, just wrap around sunglasses. And uh, uh, he had no uh, tattoos, scars, marks, birthmarks, anything like that that would be distinguishable. Uh, he uh, was a chain smoker, smoked. Uh, uh, Raleigh uh, filter tip uh, cigarettes, uh, one right after the other, and he held them in his hands, in his fingers, so that the smoke curled up around his fingers, and his fingers between here and here were stained like uh, like smokers. You've seen them that, that hold a cigarette all the time, let, let the smoke. And uh, it's kind of like the stain that you uh, you get on your fingers if you uh, if you open walnuts. Okay, you know how walnuts, uh, you go to pack some walnuts, and uh, particularly uh, uh, black walnuts, and you get those. All right, so, so you get the idea there. The reason, the reason I, it's not all the other description stuff you could hear from anyone, uh, but what he's talking about there at the end about how Cooper was holding his cigarette, and he had it, he had the, and how the smoke was circling around his fingers just right, and his fingers were stained. Now, the thing that I liked about Himmelsbach was that he tried to interview as many people involved in this case as he possibly could. I mean, he he interviewed or went around and talked to the people who refueled the jet that night um, and was asking them about what's the story on the vapor lock and the all this you know shenanigans that was going on because the way he told me was he actually believed that uh, they were pulling shenanigans. And if I, if you, if you ask the pilots, they think, you know, there was stuff. Hey, what are you guys doing? You guys are messing around here. Quit messing around. Well, Himmelsbach goes and talks to the, the actual guys who are putting the gas, the, putting the fuel into the jet. And they're saying, listen, I know it looks bad, but it was legit. We really were having like <laughs> vapor locks going on. So, so that's one thing I liked about Himmelsbach was that he actually tried to go around. He, 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 he told me, he tried, he, Anyone who was tangentially involved in this thing, he went around and tried to talk to them and get first-hand count. Uh, I would only assume that the stained fingers came from Tina. I have not read about that. Uh, maybe it's in a book someplace or something, but um, I don't recall. But anyway, you can hear it in his own words. So he's talking about his fingers are stained uh, from cigarette smoke. And I think that's interesting because what hand was he smoking with when he was on the jet? I don't know the answer to that. Well, which hand was in the briefcase? Oh yeah, he had his he had his right hand in the briefcase. So which hand was he smoking? He's smoking with his left hand. Right. Now, you could ordinarily say, well, all right, that you know maybe he's on the wrong. 
Maybe he just had to use his off arm uh, just this once. Yeah, but uh, as Tina's helping him uh, light a cigarette and she sees that he's got uh, stained fingers on his uh, finger there from holding a cigarette, uh, that tells me that maybe it wasn't his first time holding the cigarette in his left hand. So I still have on my list that it's probable, but uh, that definitely cuts, I mean, that's, that's a one-tenth probability, so that's uh, uh, numerically, it's, it's, uh, it's still on the list. I, it, would it disqualify you? No. If you were right-handed, no, but, but it is one of those things. Now, Dwayne hits every single metric I mentioned on the, on the checklist, um, and the best math I've, I can come up with is, I mean, there's no way I'm wrong. There's no way it's anyone else. But, you know, maybe, maybe our reader would disagree or a listener would disagree. It's Dwayne, huh? I, like I said, I would bet my last heartbeat on it, but, you know, people will disagree, and that's fine. It's no, no skin off my teeth if people want to disagree. Why do you think people don't believe it's Dwayne? Well, I, f- I think that even no matter how compelling it is, you're going to have people who have just difference of opinion. And um, people see the world differently. They have different backgrounds, different background knowledge, uh, different things that they'll rely on. Uh, so the, they're going to view evidence in different ways. And all with all this variation, no matter how compelling it is, unless, unless I produce the goods... You're going to have a variation in what people think. So it's not, a, it's not a, a, a judgmental thing. It's just, I think it's just reality. Do you plan on, on writing a book or doing anything? Uh, so I originally, I originally promised Joe that I would. I just feel like, and I, I've written quite a bit actually on this. I've written probably maybe 70,000 words. Um, now, granted, they're not all that good. It's not like it's ready to go or anything, but... I could write a story about this. Um, unfortunately, the story would have to be told through my eyes, which is not what I think a reader would want. They want to hear about, okay, if I, who's this guy? Tell me about this guy. Tell me all about it. And I do know, you know, a lot of stuff about him, but I don't know. I feel like, would I come through for a reader in the way I'd want to? And part of it's like, you're not going to care what I have to say until you have a reason to care what I have to say. And so, do I basically have to prove it to you that he like like I could have all the puzzle pieces uh, put together except for I'm missing one or two right and I can look at the puzzle and say all right I can tell you the exact shape that this puzzle is like I know what that piece is and I know what this puzzle piece over here looks like but I don't have them does that mean I'm wrong the whole thing is just wrong like I don't know I feel like though a reader would want to know here is proof and okay now I'll listen to what you have to say. And so I, I, I don't feel like I want to put the time and effort into something if I'm going to sell 10 copies of a book and no one cares. You know. there, there's that <laughs> train of thinking, but also yeah. like you've put so much work into this and done so much research that other people should get a chance to see what you've done, to see the work that you've done. Um, you know, there's obviously there's a lot of books on, on, on D.B. Cooper. Sure. Some of them are great. Some of them are terrible. Mm-hmm. But I, I think they're all important. And for your legacy, uh, to put it that way, I mean, you put your stamp, hey, this is the work that I did on this. Yeah, maybe, uh, maybe you have a point there. I mean, when I first thought about it, I, I really was thinking I wanted to have something for my kids to know me by. Like, okay, he had this weird obsession. <laughs> What's the story on that? And if I had it written down, it's, it's kind of there. So maybe in that sense, it's inevitable that I'll write something, but uh, <laughs> I would much rather have the, uh, the ace up the sleeve 
uh, that guarantees the win in the end. Because uh, uh, I guarantee if I had a stack of hundreds or something, or I had um, his boarding pass, uh, or something like that, and I just, and then I had a book, and then it comes out, the uh, case is solved after so many years or whatever, and I'm on Good Morning America, and hey, by the way, he's got a book. Yeah, well, okay, now we're talking a, a financial incentive. <laughs> now we're talking, you know, because I'm going to sell a bunch of books doing that, but. Well, I, yeah. I think selling books is great, obviously, but yeah. forget the financial incentive. Um, you brought up your buddy Sluggo earlier. Yeah. He was huge in this, and his site was incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a site that I went to quite often, and he's out of the game now. Uh-huh. Um, and his site's gone. Right. I want people to know who he was and the work that he put in. I mean, I'm not going to go around and he wants to remain uh, out of the vortex, so that's fine. But if he would have had a book, then there is that, and that lasts a long time than a website because his website's not even up anymore. Right. Well, yeah. And as far as uh, as far as he goes, he uh, he he paid Joe a visit. I don't know. Uh, to what he saw and what he didn't see. I can tell you that there are things that she had that you may not see uh, at first go or second go. There's things, yeah. So, and the way she had her stuff was just, she had this, you know, just, it was so much randomness. And it's like, uh, my friend said it was like looking for a needle in the hay field, not even a haystack. But, uh, Anyway, all right. So I have some notes here. The tie. You had wanted to talk about the tie. Yeah, and I can you explain uh, or account for okay. the particles on the tie? Does, so let's, is let's, there a Dwayne explanation for let's, that? Let's let's talk about that. Let's talk about let's talk about the tie and the genesis of the tie. Like I said earlier, I Tom K has convinced me because I was not sure at first. You know, what's the story on this tie? What's the deal on the tie? I was I was I was kind of ambi- uh, ambivalent about it. Um, Tom Case convinced me that that tie was Dwayne's. Let's talk about why I feel that way. Now they found it on the jet, right? Let's let's pull up the 302. So this is a 302 dated uh, December 1st, 1971, uh, filled out by Special Agent Francis Schmidt. Okay, so here's what happened. Uh, they took him and his buddy had the tie, because uh, remember the evidence was in uh, Vegas, the Vegas uh, office there. They take the tie to JCPenney. The particular JCPenney they went to is uh, is, is gone now. It's been uh, demolished and rebuilt, but it's about four blocks east of uh, the Wynn and the Palazzo there off the Strip. And they walk in and they talk to, let's see, on this date, they talked to Mr. O'Connell, the manager. Uh, hold on, yeah. Uh, they talked to uh, Mr. O'Connell, the manager, and Richard Parr, the assistant manager. So they had this conversation with these two uh, managers, right? And they lay down the. Uh, they were interviewed by the reporting agent. They were shown the snap snap on tie with the Towncraft label, uh, right? And the manager. Mr. O'Connell advised that to his knowledge, it would be impossible to tell at what store or location it was purchased. So that was their first initial. Hey, can you tell me where this was bought? Obvious, obvious question. They thought, hey, right. this number three, what's this number three? Is that telling? Obvious question to ask. 
He stated that the number three signified that the tie sold for $1 and a half. He advised that the tie was of polyester, polyester material and was washable, and as such was a favorite item worn by waiters or busboys or bartenders. And then the assistant manager, Mr. Parr, checked the tie counter of the store and exhibited the same type of tie as to the color and material and snap-on, but this tie was approximately two and one-half times the width of the one that they showed him. So he stated that it had been at least a year, probably a year and a half, since uh, since that store handled the narrow type of tie. Then this is the key. He advised that these ties are not a dress-style tie, but usually worn by working people. He advised that these ties are usually purchased. So this is, this is from a store level how they sell the tie. Um, that these ties are usually purchased uh, in bulk orders of 30 to 40 dozen at a time. So who, who, who does that? You know, the restaurants and whatever, bar, right. bars and restaurants. And then they said, of course, they, they, they concluded the report, the 302, with this. Uh, regarding the tie clasp with the imitation pearl centerpiece attached to the tie, they concurred and advising that it would have no way of knowing where that had been manufactured or sold. So when you talk about the tie with a set or whatever, I, I, uh, that's not what they got from the manager. And the manager was like, look, we sell these ties, we sell them in bulk, um, and it makes sense because it would be like a uniform. So sure, whoever D.B. Cooper was could have gone in and, and won off, bought, bought the tie one off. It's possible. But what the manager's saying is that on a numeric basis from a uh, – you know, a Bayesian, from a Bayesian analysis, if you want to get like statistical, right? Uh, your odds are that this was purchased in a bulk order um, in one of these capacities, you know, a restaurant, a bartender, et cetera, et cetera. Now, you mentioned it was from 1969, yeah, perhaps a 69, because you said a year and a half. So you would, uh, that puts it at about what? Yeah, 70 ish, 69, somewhere in there. Now, I have the tax returns for Dwayne Weber. Uh, 69, 70, 71, 72, 73. I've got them all the way up to, well, I don't know, 80, at least 1980. Uh, I don't have anything before 69. Those are just, I don't know what happened to him. If he just didn't keep them or, or what. But uh, I can tell you for a fact, he worked at a restaurant in Kansas City in 69. And he worked at a restaurant in New Orleans. And he worked at a restaurant in Atlanta. Then... Uh, then you're asking about metal ties. Now, I know you've heard the story of him working at this, a uh, couple different stories. Joe was very confused. She would talk about modulus, and then she'd go on the Internet and look up modulus and find a current modulus corporation and, and then say, well, that, that's who he worked for. Uh, you got to be a little smarter than that. you got to look at the uh, employer ID number on the, on the W-2 and then go find, go find them and, and look them up. They're no longer in business, but I was able to find them, and I will show you what I found here. So here, I'll show you the W-2s. So you, we can confirm that, you can confirm to your audience that I actually have the W-2 from 1970, working for Modulus Corp uh, out of Cleveland, Ohio. Yes? Dwayne Weber, yeah. Yeah, okay, all right. So, so you can confirm that he actually, in 1970, this is 1970, what the hell is Modulus Corp? Because there's another entry on one of his things where he, uh, he was working for their subsidiary and it's like, uh, interlock screw and bolt or something I, I have the actual name but more importantly more importantly i wanted to look up their corporate charter 
If you would be so kind, sir, as to read next to that red star. This is taken straight off the Ohio Secretary of State page. Said corporation's purpose is manufacture and sale industrial fasteners. Okay, so they are manufacture and sale of industrial fasteners. So what is an, an industrial fastener? Industrial fastener is, uh, well, obviously nuts and bolts. That's, that's, but anything that's attaching uh, things together is uh, an industrial fastener. Hold on, I actually have a printout. I actually Googled that. Now, I'm not saying this is for sure, but uh, I did find this funny. If you go down, it's talking about uh, sealants, welding, gaskets, sockets, spacers, springs, adjustable levers, eye bolt, rod ends, strap clamps, thread repair kits, right? All this stuff, and it talks about uh, they're used in wide swaths of industry and every type of product imaginable from consumer devices like cell phones, which of course they didn't have back then, robotics, electronic motors. I really thought the, the conclusion was interesting. Do you see anything interesting in there? Aero, yeah, examples of this include automotive manufacturing industry and aerospace applications. Right, so uh, clearly uh, when you say that D.B. Cooper has to work for Boeing, it's not necessarily true. The, uh, what about the parts that Boeing, uh, are they manufacturing every single part? Or are they getting parts from places? And, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't work there. But uh, I didn't work there in 71 either. I wasn't alive then. But um, whatever the case is, uh, Modulus was manufacturing and selling uh, fasteners, I would assume, of a metallic sort. Most of them are metallic. So you have not only him working at these various restaurants at the time you would expect uh, whoever D.B. Cooper to be working at a restaurant, or possibly, I guess, because it is possible. He bought it at a secondhand store or... Or he went into JCPenney and one off and just bought the tie for himself or something. <clears throat> but if you go off of uh, what the manager said, which is most of those were just purchased in bulk by you know, restaurant tours or whatever. Okay, we got that. And we also have them at the same time working in a place that's literally manufacturing and selling uh, stuff that's made of metal. Now, I don't know what kind of metal. I wasn't there. You weren't there. Uh, none of the people that were there are around to tell us what the hell they were manufacturing. But given everything that I know about the case and given that, uh, you know, case find these, these spirals of titanium and I'm just of the conclusion of, okay, he's walking around the shop and, you know, they're manufacturing stuff and it's getting on his tie. I don't know what they're doing. You, you tell me what they were doing. So that's, uh, that's my take on it. What's your take on how did Dwayne know that you could jump from that plane? The best I... Again, it's pure speculation because it's one of those things you don't know uh, is that probably he had some sort of exposure in the military that uh, either knew people in the military or he himself either saw it done or did it himself. That would be my best guess, but I don't know. And then, of course, Joe would tell me, like, well, he called Stanley Gilliam on the phone and his brother. Now, his brother uh, had uh, worked worked with Sherwin-Williams paints and they did have Boeing contracts where they would uh, paint parts and, and what have you. But I don't know if that's really, she would always sell me on, on you know, the brother has this connection to Boeing and he owned apartments. Apparently he did own apartments in, in Washington at one point. So I'll, I'll, I'll give him that. But uh, she would tell me that his older brother was like buddy, buddy with Stanley Gilliam. And I, I have no evidence for that, N none whatsoever. Um, is it possible? Sure. Maybe. I I just haven't seen it. I would I would have loved to uh, ha have some of this documented. And given the fact that 
sometimes her mind would uh, play with her a little bit and she'd, uh, I don't know, I, I don't want to put, I don't want to um, say what she did or didn't remember. I just try to look at like what she says and then try to uh, take a look at it and see if it makes sense or not. But so I, 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 don't, I don't know how, how we knew. I don't know. It's one of those things. What would you ask Dwayne Weber? If Joy and uh, Weber walked into yeah, the room right uh, now. No, that's, that's, that's a question that I've, I've asked him. Uh, <laughs> yeah, some, some of the questions I would ask him are probably ones I'm not ready to, to reveal <laughs> on the recording. But uh, you know, how, much, how much of the money was left when he, when he, when he died? You know, how much had he laundered? I'd be curious about that. Do you think some of it was left when he died? Yeah, I, I just have a hard time believing he would have. Uh, knowing what I know what he did. I have a hard time believing that the the steps he took to obscure, he took significant steps to obscure, okay? And knowing that, I just have a hard time thinking that he dumped all the evidence and he had no no evidence of uh, incriminating against him. I think he did. And I think that's why he's taken, why he took the steps he took, the extraordinary measures to hide uh, as well as he did. I've always thought about if I... You know, if I had a time machine, the first thing I'm doing with my time machine is I'm going to PDX November 24th, 1971. Um, I've thought about that same thing, too. I've thought about I would love to be on that plane, walk back and just <laughs> what would I do? What would I do? Like what I just try to show off and uh, hey, Tina, can you uh, go up the front? No, sir. Get sit down. Well, I, I, I want to talk. I want to talk to him about and I'd start naming some of his family members. You know, <laughs> like, uh, I, <laughs> I don't know what I, what would I do. What would I do? What would I do? I don't know. If, yeah, it's funny to fantasize about this kind of stuff. Oh, I've, I yeah. know exactly what I would yeah. do. I, I'd go back to him and I'd wink at him and I'd be like, you're going to get away with this, dude. You're going to get away with this. <laughs> Amazing. He yeah. Uh, OK, so there was one thing I wanted to talk about. So in 19 uh, after the crime, he purchased these two cars. I want to talk about the tax return. His 1971 tax return. And this is the year he bought two brand new cars. Yeah, yeah. So he's buying brand two, two brand new cars. Now I did look up his income uh, level this year, and he was below the poverty line officially. Anyway, officially, that doesn't mean he reported all his income. Uh, gross wages was three thousand seven hundred thirty-three dollars. But here's the funny part: you got this fifteen hundred dollar entry right here. Okay, income other than wages, right? And it gives him a total of 5233 So you go to the page of $1,500. What's, what's this $1,500? So you go to the sheet and you're like, okay, what's this $1,500? Go ahead and read what it says. Sales of miscellaneous personal items. Okay. 1500 bucks. Right. So sale of miscellaneous personal items. So uh, I, I read that. What are you thinking? I mean, what are you thinking he would be selling? What's a miscellaneous personal item? Well, I mean, that much money, the first thing that comes to my mind is a car. Well, maybe, but a personal item. Like he's selling, he's selling personal items. So I'm thinking, okay, like what he he had a yard sale or something. Like what he he sold some old clothes. What what's going on? And and if he did, is that a taxable event? So so let's say uh, we take your book collection here and we we go sell it. You know, we're going to sell some of your personal personal effects. You don't want them anymore. All right. First of all, can it be tracked by the IRS? No, not no, really. No, it can't be tracked. So why would you put it on your taxes? That's that's what I'm thinking right now. Okay. Why? He has to put this on because it's so much money. I mean, he only made 3000 bucks, and 
he's got 1500 that right. he has to account for. That's half of what he made that year. Right. So uh, first of all, it's not a taxable event unless you're actually like a, a you know, capital gains or something. They can't track it. So this guy's like total criminal. Why is he purposely putting money on a tax return that he doesn't have to put there? Like, right. No one's going to know. Let's talk about the pricing. Dodge Demon at that time retailed for 2721 Dodge Swinger at the time retailed for 2561 for a total of $5,282. Now, we know from his tax return, his official income was 3733 He added $1,500 worth of, you know, whatever to the return to give him a total of 5233 A difference of about, you know, 50 bucks. Uh, I, I look at that and I'm wondering, okay, I'm wondering, what, what's going on? What is going on? I told you that uh, the people in this era were uh, very familiar with the gangsters. How did they catch Al Capone? Tax evasion. Right. Here it is. Right off the, here it is, right off the FBI website. Uh, federal Treasury agents had been gathering evidence that Capone had failed to pay his income taxes. So, so my hypothesis, and maybe I'm wrong, of course, but maybe I'm wrong, is he's purposely adding money to his income tax return that he didn't have to add, that wasn't traceable. Uh, he's purposely paying more tax to the federal government than he needs to. And it's just a cover for when someone says, you know what, how the hell did you get two new cars, sir? Well, you know, I sold some stuff. All right. And maybe he could then say, well, I, I sold more than 1500 bucks actually, but I just, you know, I didn't want to, I, I, something, something along those lines. Right. right. That's what I think. I do find it interesting. Do you know if he paid cash for those cars? Um, he has, uh, on some of his returns, he puts when he gets a loan, um, and then on other returns, or on other tax returns, there's like, well, like on this one, no, no, uh, he's not writing off any sort of uh, um, loan or anything. Um, as far as I can tell, it's cash. I don't have a way to like absolutely verify that it's cash, other than the fact that they divorced. She took the red one, he took the green one, and you know, I, don't, I don't know. And it's um, her one of her daughters is on tape saying um, that they that they. They paid cash for it, so I don't know. What What do Dwayne's previous wives or family think of the D.B. Cooper story? Because we know what Joe thinks. Yeah, we know what Joe thinks. Um, two wives before Joe, she was interviewed by the FBI. Uh, she did not want to talk to them, but she did. The best sense I can tell you is I got I got the sense that she, I got the sense that she really didn't didn't know that much about it and and I was real skeptical but it could be a, you could you could argue that it was an act I don't know I don't know I can make an argument that she was involved the next wife he traded up he 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 literally at the time of the crime was uh, obviously in the process of getting a new wife uh, or whatever that one never talked she never talked to anybody we would people would contact her call she would just uh, curse them out didn't want to talk about Dwayne Weber it's a bad, bad chapter. She's the one that got the judgment against him. Um, um, yeah. she's, she's gone now, so I don't know. It's the thing that I find so interesting and frustrating about Dwayne at the same time is that he has to be so mysterious. Yeah. Like you play me those tapes talking to Joe and it's like she doesn't know what's going on with him. Yeah. 
She has no idea what's going on. And um, it's funny to listen to that because in hindsight, I'm, I'm quite clear I know what's going on. And to just hear her ignorance and it's just, but I played, I played those tapes because I want, I want the audience to hear uh, one that, I, that this is a very well chronicled, but also you're hearing it in the real time, like how, what she's seeing and she can't make sense of it. And only years later does she maybe even have an inkling of what's going on, you know, in hindsight after the confession. What haven't we covered? So uh, along the lines of um, uh, money in the, I actually typed out all of the ransom numbers so that I would be able to search them quickly. Here's a whole list right here. And uh, I can verify that, uh, you know, they, maybe this is, maybe this is public knowledge and everybody knows this, but uh, you know, they stiffed him $40. I don't know if that's I don't know if that's uh, commonly known or not. I, have, I, w- I would think not, but I don't, I don't know. They stiff- I've read different reports on that okay. that they stiffed him forty dollars and that it was just a, a clerical error. There were two serial number bills missing. Oh, uh, okay. I had never read about it. I never heard about it. I just typed out every single one and then was like, "Oh, we're missing two. <laughs> the so. I mean, have you ever seen that website Check Six where you could like? No. It's uh, an aviation forum or website okay. and then they have like a little db cooper thing on there where you could put in a serial number of a 20 and see if it was one of i may i may have Coopers. seen it i may have seen it i never saw like a, a thing posted could have saved me a bunch of time typing them out but whatever and All then right. that uh, arthur friedberg the uh currency expert he he told me he was like i looked at that list and some of those serial numbers to me look incorrect <laughs> I, was like, I, I don't know what that means but um well there's uh i will tell you if you go through it you'll see um uh, um, he had now whether they were assorted this way or not. Um, I, I would think that the the way they presented it in the list is one way, and the way they were presented in the stacks was probably different. But um, I mean, he had sequential bills. He had one sequence of like I can't remember like fourteen or fifteen bills in a row. Well, imagine having fourteen or fifteen sequential. Uh, serial numbers of DB Cooper ransom. I, mean, I can't imagine what that'd be worth to a currency collector. But they love like their, you know, their sequential, their sequential deals, and and to have it like that would just be, wow, crazy. All right, uh, I think, I think we're mostly done, sir, for today. Is there is there anywhere people can contact you if someone has a question, if they yeah, think they you're a, right, if they think you're wrong? Yeah, contact you, and then you you tell me. That's it. I'm that, for that. Is that fair? Yes, that's totally fair. <laughs> right. um, no, I'm ha- I'm happy to actually. Uh, one thing I'm not really I'm not really interested in like debating who he was or whatever. I, I'm I'm okay with it. It's just it's kind of a waste of my time, I think. Um, but I am happy to discuss things I haven't thought of. And the problem with being so um, insular, the way I am, and there are reasons for that. I mean, one is just I don't like. I don't like having to think about this stuff all the time. It, it will, it will just, con- oh, well, I mean, anybody listening to this knows it can consume, it can consume. And just, you know, pretty soon you're like, Joe, you spent decades of your life wasted, wasted. Just, oh my gosh. If he knew what that was going to do, I'd like to think that he would have just let it go because I think he'd be horrified to know uh, what that did to her. And as I told John Dower once in the car and they didn't put it in the documentary, but I, I told him, I said, um, you know, you think of it as a victimist crime or whatever. And sure, there were some people had some trauma or whatever. And uh, you see Ratajkowski kind of tearing up in an interview or something like that. But whether it was Dwayne or not, 
The fact that years later, this woman spends a quarter century just like whittling away, trying to do whatever she's trying to do, right? It's just human waste. It's just life waste. We're just wasting life. <laughs> and I, I just, wow. I, I told John, I said, well, to me, she's his biggest victim. And she wasn't even on the jet. Yeah, I, I think that's well said. You know, I've said about Tina before, I think what has happened since the hijacking has bothered her way worse oh, yeah. than the hijacking itself. Um, you know, you talk about Joe Weber or the Foremans or uh, Robert Blevins. Um, these people have spent yeah. decades. Right, enormous time, enormous um, amount of time. Yeah. Just consumed in this. And I'm uh, sadly, it's a, it's a, something I can't escape. And most of my time spent on this is just mental. It's uh, walking around the house and it just won't leave my head. It's being up at two in the morning, like this morning, uh, trying to just running. God, it's like the mind won't shut up kind of thing. And I, I know everybody has that experience, you know, at least from time to time, but oh my gosh, it's just this. But how many people are lying in bed at night awake thinking about DB Cooper? Right, exactly. It's a, it's a handful of people probably, or, or very few. And, um, I've often wondered, you know, why, why, why like this? Why am I like this? And is there uh, this journey for me? And I haven't quite decided if it's good, bad, or whatever. Maybe it's neither. But um, it's actually been quite spiritual because, in a sense, and I started off very atheist. I'm now like more agnostic or whatever. I I, I don't know what I am really, but um, I had times in this where I felt uh, nudged, but I also felt. And I, and I know this is like human nature to like find patterns and all this, but I had a real hard time just, I had a real hard time um, coming, coming to grips with my role in this because it really felt as if somehow I was fated for it. And uh, I mean, clearly that seems so silly because I'm just like, that's, that's just so stupid. <laughs> Who, if you're going to have fate, right? Why have fate on some, you know, some 50 year old crime? Um, <laughs> that I don't know, like you said, you go out in, in public and start asking people, I don't know what the percentages are, but you know, probably what 70% of people, uh, would have no knowledge or not even care. Right. Right. So, so it's like, it's like silly, but I can't escape. I can't escape that feeling sometimes of, and, and maybe it's just, we're wired, we're wired to do that. I don't know. But, um, I've often reflected on what I can learn from Dwayne's life, uh, you know, good and bad. And like I said, uh, in any, in any hero's quest, uh, ultimately what you're going to find is yourself. And so that's kind of where I'm at now. It's just like a lot of self-reflection. So it's just interesting. Yeah. I, I feel you. I, I, I've thought about the same thing being in this. Why am I doing this? <laughs> why do I care about this? It happened 50 years ago. I wasn't alive. Um, there's something about that there's no end to this yet where I can't put it down. Maybe we're all, maybe we all kind of sense that there should be a solution. There should be a resolution. It should be there. And, uh, we're sensing, we're sensing that, but for whatever reason, we just haven't uh, materialized quite yet. I can tell you for a fact, Dwayne left stuff behind. The question is, where is it? And what was it? Uh, and those are answers I, I, you asked what I would ask him. Uh, that might be along the lines of what I would ask him. Um, I mean, there's one. There's one that's just totally blows my mind. I can't make sense of it, 
and I would I would ask him about that. What the hell's the story with this? And I can't. I'm not going to discuss it on tape, but yeah, uh, just what in the world is going on here? Can you explain this? Like Tim said, if you have any comments or questions for him, you can send them our way, and we'll forward them to Tim for you. Is there a suspect we haven't covered yet, or a theory you think we got wrong? Let us know. You can find us on Facebook. We are the Cooper Vortex. Instagram at the Cooper Vortex or Twitter at DB Cooper Podcast. Or you can email us, dbcooperpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you to Tim Collins for driving all the way to my house in a snowstorm to talk about Weber and Cooper. Thank you to Russell Colbert, who I hope is out riding his Grom in the snow right now. I'm Darren Schaefer, and thank you for listening to the Cooper Vortex. Mm-hmm.